This episode of the Hard Men Podcast is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery. Order your custom beef bundle today. It's also brought to you by Private Family Banking, helping Christians take dominion through privatized banking. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by Backwards Planning Financial, building multi-generational wealth with Joe Garrisey. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your guest host, Dan Burkholder. Today, I have a returning guest, Joe Garrisey. Uh, Joe, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me again. So, so Mr. Garrisey, if you uh, didn't meet him last time he was on, on the Hardman podcast, uh, Mr. Garrisey was a captain in the army. He drove tanks. So he showed me some of the ammunition that, that tanks fired. I mean, it's pretty sweet. Uh, he is also the owner and president CEO of Backwards Planning Financial. What is your title there? You just own it. Uh, I'm the owner and senior wealth manager. Yes. Senior wealth manager. You can find more information about Joe and the services he provides at backwardsplanningfinancial.com. And in our last episode on finances, it generated a lot of attention and received some great feedback from you guys. Uh, One of the areas of finance that generate the most questions, though, is around debt. Debt being pretty much the foundation of our modern economy. It's almost inescapable. Most of us have to use debt in some form to just simply live. Uh, Joe, would you say that's accurate? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we're a debt economy. Everybody has to use debt in some form unless you're very blessed. Um, But even then, you may want to use debt. We'll find out. You may want to use debt even if you're financially blessed. So in my meetings with Joe about my own personal finances, because I am a client of Joe's, debt is a major factor in managing finances for the future. And uh, Joe and I thought it would be helpful to you all if we discussed all things debt, including how to get out of debt, different types of debt, even answering some questions about when it might be beneficial to use debt or even keep debt. So in this episode, we'll be talking about how and when to get out of debt. And so, Joe, I think it would be helpful to start with the most common principle that is, I mean, has been popularized today by by the likes of Dave Ramsey's on getting out of debt, the debt snowball. Absolutely. You're correct. I think this is the most widely known and used uh, method of getting out of the debt or getting out of debt. I'd like to describe what it is, uh, what it's best for, and when it's not efficient compared to other different methods and why. Of course, there's no method that's right for everyone. So it's appropriate to understand what you're trying to accomplish to know how to get there. That's the whole uh, theme of backwards planning is understanding what you're trying to accomplish. So the debt snowball, what you first do is, uh, I like to use Excel, is do a line item for every single debt of every kind. If you have multiple student loans or multiple credit cards, every single line item, first of all, name the debt on what kind or title it is, the balance of it, the minimum payment and the interest rate, and then do a sort by balance. The debt snowball sorts by balance. That's the main premise of it. And what they do is say, okay, make sure you're making a minimum payment on every single one, one, because it's the honorable thing to do and it's good for your credit score and et cetera. But when you are able to make extra payments, 
make that extra payment on the debt with the smallest balance. Once that's paid off, truly celebrate with you and your spouse on that, take that payment, snowball it, roll it to the next smallest balance. When that one's paid off, roll it to the next smallest balance over and over again until your debt is paid off. And so this is just brute dollars owed. Yes. Not taking into account interest rates or terms or anything like that. Okay. Any of it. If the smallest debt is a 0% interest, doesn't matter. Pay off smallest debt. Literally, that may okay. sound a little crazy. Yes, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, yes, so, small step. Yeah. So you've got you've got people that have mortgages, student loans, a car loan, and credit card debt. And so it could be like the student loan that is deferred interest right now is the smallest, and the recommendation in this scenario would be to pay that off first. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. But there are. So, but I, I'm kind of giving this a caricature a little bit, but there, this is good. It's a yes. good strategy to get out of debt. Yeah. If you have no strategy, that, that's worse when you're just kind of throwing money around and et cetera. This at least has a plan that, that you can use. Now, here's the benefit. Many people, you know, debt is truly oppressive. It absolutely weighs down upon the back of our head and it's constantly there. And what this does is releases you emotionally from it as soon as possible. In other words, if you can cross a line item off, hey, we get to celebrate. One of the debts is paid off. This will cancel line items the fastest. That's his benefit. So this is taking the principle of concentration of fire. Yes. And you're like, we're going to just shoot everything we got at the smallest one and then start going through them. Okay. There you go. Not, if I use military term, not what's the most high value target. This is what's the smallest balance of the debt, period. No, I suppose it's really helpful to build confidence. Yes. And to have a feeling like, okay, I'm starting to take things back in control. Because really, people that use the debt snowball are people that have also snowballed into debt. Yes. You know, they've accumulated a lot of debt. And so it's probably really helpful to get some wins under your belt. Absolutely. It's, uh, they're frustrated. They feel like they're not in control. And so to to take a hold of take responsibility of where you are and your future and to get a win that you can celebrate absolutely is important to give you emotional energy to keep going. Actually, my favorite of of one of the aspects of all of these debts when I'm talking to parents is to say, hey, let's put this in like a thermometer type scenario and put it on the fridge. I actually suggest parents tell their kids, say, hey, kids, we're going to use this as a learning tool. Mom and dad weren't great here, but mom and dad are taking charge. And so we're now going to be responsible and purposeful in what we're doing. And when we don't go out to dinner or et cetera, we're going to come back and cross off a line item by an extra 50 bucks. Hey, we're going to show the kids of what we're doing and teach them by example on what we're doing. But we're having all the line items. The important thing about the debt snowball is ordered by size. Okay, ordered by size. That's the that's the most important principle. And so b- before we get into more uh, methods of how to get out of debt, let's talk about one of the principles of debt. And that's um, from the scriptures. It's Proverbs 22, 7. This is the most commonly used scripture, proof text against getting into debt at all. And it says that the bow- borrower is the slave to the lender. The borrower is the slave to the lender. Uh, and a common hermeneutic to get out of debt before all financial moves. That's, that's usually what it's used for. Um, and, 
in a sense, it is warning. It's a proverb. So this is a truism. This is not necessarily a command, um, but there, this is true. Like, like Joe, you had said, uh, getting into debt is oppressive. You can feel it on your back. You're carrying around this debt. You owe somebody something. But this proverb isn't saying, therefore, debt is sin. Therefore, all debt is sin. Some debt could be sin. But that debt in itself is sin. It's not, it's not saying that. This proverb is making a statement, not a command. So I guess the reason that I want to bring this up is because I think that in some, some circles, there's this stigma, especially in, in certain faith traditions in Christianity, that debt in itself is sinful. And so you took out a mortgage, so there's some lack of faith or something like that. There's something wrong with you for having, having to do that. And I think that that's a, a common and incorrect understanding, but it is a true principle because there are different types of debt. So the first type of debt that I'd like to talk about is a uncollateralized debt. And this, in one sense, is actually very, very true that the, that the debtor is the slave to the lender. Because the thing is, when you don't have any asset that's being collateralized, um, now I'm getting in over my head, Joe, as far as the terminology. If there's nothing you're borrowing against, so like with a mortgage, when you take out a mortgage, you have a home. So if you default, if you can't pay your mortgage, they take your home. Yes. They don't take you. Right. They don't take you and say, now you have to work off your debt as a literal slave. That type of debt, uncollateralized debt is very, very dangerous. Yes. And there are different, I mean, even though we don't have literal slavery today in the United States, this still happens to people. I know just pastoring, Joe, that I've helped people out of some pretty sticky situations with payday loans and with title loans and things like that to where uh, you can just go in with a paycheck and they will give you money and it's exorbitant interest rates. It's it's definitely usury. I mean, so some of these interest rates are over 30% interest. And, and it really does make these people into slaves because when you have that high interest rate, it begins to build very, very quickly. And and if a person is going to a payday loan place, you don't have a lot of cash anyway. And so then to start going into the hole, it starts a death spiral and it really does uh, enslave people. And so I just wanted to bring that up as one of the principles of debt is that not all debt is necessarily just straight evil from Satan, but uncollateralized debt is very, very dangerous. So if you have a mortgage, you shouldn't go under church discipline. Like <laughs> necessarily, <laughs> that's not that's not the case because uh, it is a collateralized debt. But I, I just wanted to assuage your conscience if that was something that might have been bothering some people in the back of your mind. So, but so to summarize the snowball method, it seems like it's a very big emotional help, right? Yes. Exactly. Okay. What, what about other, what about other strategies for getting out of debt? Uh, One, uh, another one, there's, there's multiple, another one that has been around for a long time is called the debt avalanche. Uh, Now this method starts with the same similar Excel spreadsheet. Instead of sorting it by size, you sort it by interest rate. You start with the highest interest rate first. It's kind of like the principle of, let's say you're going for a walk uh, out in the desert. 
I've literally done this, uh, going for a walk, and you slide down the hill because it's shale and et cetera, and you fall yeah. into a cactus, literally have done this, and you have multiple <laughs> wounds on your arms and legs, which one do you stop first? Do you stop the one that's bleeding slowly? Or do you stop the one that's bleeding fat, bleeding flat, fast? Obviously, we have limited blood. I like my blood. I want it to stay in my body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we stop the one that's bleeding the fastest because we want to keep our blood. Same principle financially. Stop the one or get rid of the one with the highest interest rate. So dollar for dollar, that's bleeding you the most money out of your bank account. So when you have an extra payment. Of course, again, make minimum payments on everything. That's what's honorable. That's what we signed up for. And then take your extra payment on the highest interest rate. And then they, they don't use the term snowball. They use the term avalanche. But it, it just really means take that payment when that debt is paid off, move it to the next highest interest rated debt and on down until they're all gone. This this does seem like a, a more efficient method to me. That's why I brought it up. I actually hadn't read the debt, debt avalanche part of your notes um, <laughs> before the episode, but I'm like, this snowball thing just always had me curious because if you're, if you're, if you have a 13% loan and you've got a 3% loan, why would you pay off the 3% loan before the 13% loan? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Yes. Yes. Well, you're thinking logically. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, this will not cross off line items as fast as the debt snowball, but it will get rid of all of the debt faster. So less dollars till total completion of debt elimination. And there's actually software out there that will compare these two free software. There's multiple of them where you can put in all your debt, put all the interest rates and see which methods faster. It's, it's just math. In other words, so this method eliminates debt faster, but less emotional positives in the beginning. So it also depends on what you need, right? There's not, not everybody uh, needs true. the same thing, right? Some people need some wins because, Hey, let's think of the person that was recently in a payday loan. That sounds horrific is about as far as you yeah. can get bad in the financial world. So you know what? They need some wins. Let's get them positive because our mindset, how we think about it is very effectual. You know, thoughts have chemical reactions inside of our bodies. So getting positive on what it and then go after what's efficient, depending on where people are. No, that completely makes sense. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, speaking of debt, it is actually important to pay off debt. Like, yeah, that is that is very important to be able to pay off debt. I mean, uh, both in Exodus, uh, it says it, it says anything borrowed should be paid back. And in Psalms, it says the wicked borrow and don't pay back. So you have the righteous paying back what's borrowed and but the wicked borrow and don't pay back, i.e. the United States government. The idea of debt forgiveness currently floating around the USA in the case of student loans right now is unjust, according to the Bible. And it's foreign to the biblical principles of debt. And so I just wanted to say that it is, you know, whatever strategy you end up using out of these four that we're going to be talking about, paying off debt is a good idea. In fact, it is a command that anything borrowed should be paid back. So whether you're, you're um, you know, you need some emotional wins, you're just like, I, I just need a win under my belt. I've been in those situations man, I can remember trading on the stock market and having a series of losses. And I'm like, you know what? I just need a win. Like a small one would be great. And just taking the easy thing 
and the small thing, you know, taking small bites, you know, that's how you eat a whole elephant is just one bite at a time. Right. And so whatever method you use, it is a righteous pursuit. I, I guess I'll say that. So what I, what other strategies are, you know, of these four, what's the next one that you would like to review? So I want to talk about debt consolidation. That is using a term earlier, uh, re-collateralization. In other words, what is the surety or, or what are you putting up that if you don't pay the debt, the debtor can come and collect, right? The house has an example, they can come and collect that. So you can move debt around to different collaterals. And because some collateral is more guaranteed to be there, more sure to be there, the interest rate on that debt is lower. You talked about unsecured debt, credit card debt, as an example. That's unsecured. There's no collateral other than your good name. Well, that's got a high interest rate because maybe they don't trust your good name. Compared to a house, <laughs> they can go and collect. Whether you're good name or not, they'll come and take that house. So you can move debt around. And so what you can simply do is look at your different collateral. Again, start with the Excel spreadsheet. I love Excel. Uh, Excel spreadsheet and put your different pieces of collateral on there all different line items. And you can go to banks or et cetera to see if you can get a loan from those different collaterals and what would the interest rate be? Compare that to the interest rates you have and can you move it around? As an example, one of the biggest and obvious is to move debt at high interest rates over to the mortgage on your house. Now, there, there's a few different ways to do that. One is simply do a refinance. Refinance, the, the primary negative here is the cost. You got to go through a full closing cost again. Normally, it's added to your mortgage, so it's not out of pocket. But within what you can do is you can say, hey, a cash out refi. Literally what we're talking about. Say you refinance the mortgage and I want a check, Mr. Banker, for X amount and you use that check to pay off high interest. And it's it's removing that debt from your car or your credit card or your student loan or whatever it is and moving it over and re-collateralizing it to your primary mortgage. Now there's multiple benefits. One, you would only do this if you have a lower interest rate. And number two, you're stretching out the payments probably to a longer time period. So the monthly payment is less. There's relieve some of the pain on your cash flow. If your cash flow is very stressed, this is one of the ways to get some relief on there. But if you give money to a 501c3, i.e. look at the other podcast for some ideas, if you itemize, uh, if your primary mortgage qualifies, you're you're adding interest that can be a tax deduction versus interest currently that is not a tax deduction, like your car and your credit card and your student loans and et cetera. Those interests are not tax deduction. Your primary mortgage probably is. So you're actually getting an additional discount by a lower interest rate and a tax deduction if you itemize. Our sponsor, Private Family Banking Partners, is on a mission to help Christians live out the Dominion mandate by making a stealth-like move away from the mainstream banks and into their own privatized banking system. This innovative system is designed to guarantee uninterrupted compound interest and tax-free growth without exposure to typical stock market risks. 
to join this growing community that is already building wealth into future generations and converting post-mill talk into post-mill action, contact private family banking partner Chuck De Laterante at his email, chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. To set up an appointment and to receive a free copy of Chuck's new book, Protect Your Money Now, How to Build Multi-Generational Wealth Outside of Wall Street and Avoid the Coming Banking Meltdown, go to the link in the show notes for more information. Do you desire to be shrewd financially for the sake of your family and future generations? Well, we know that a robust society depends on getting this right. Success in building and passing on personal wealth. Let's be mature, responsible leaders with the resources God expects us to turn a profit on, to love our children and children's children well. Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial integrates investments, debt, insurance, tax strategies, and legacy planning in a holistic approach, coaching his clients to act wisely. You can do better than you received, you can affect your family trajectory and maximize your efforts to set up long-term fruitfulness. Joe starts with your values and goals, then provides impactful counsel to help you form and implement your financial plan. Click on the link in the description for Backwards Planning Financial and contact Joe today to get started. So what does the length of the term of your loan... uh, how does that affect? Because if you're, let's say you've got a shorter term loan, that's a higher interest rate, say it's a 7% and we're, we're doing like pre, you know, interest rate craziness. So, <laughs> uh, and you can take that 7% and you put it into now a 30 year loan at 4%, Yeah, you're paying it off over a longer period of time. So couldn't the debt be more expensive? So depends how you define expensive. And we're actually leading into the fourth one just a little bit, (laughs) which is a holistic (laughs) method. There's the precursor of taking everything else into account and looking at it holistically versus the first two methods. And this one are silo focused, you know, hey, ignore everything else in life and just focus on debt and the elimination of hardcore get out of debt despite the rest of our plan. In other words. Yeah. I was just curious, like if you had a 7% interest rate, but it's going to be paid off in five years and then you put it into all of a sudden you're wrapping that into a 30 year mortgage at 4%, you're going to pay more in interest over time. Am I right? More dollars in interest, but you want to take the time value of money into account because some of those dollars are paid five years from now, 10 years from now versus a dollar today is worth always more than a dollar tomorrow. Because you can invest it, assuming you do something positive with the difference in time, uh, in other words. Even with inflation, taking that into account, you're actually freezing the value of your dollar in 2023 right now. So you're, you're freezing the value of that dollar now, which as we've seen, inflation erodes the purchasing power of your money. That's why, yes. you know, a, a lot of us younger guys will look at our parents and they're like, yeah, why don't you just buy a house? I mean, it's, I worked hard. I worked a full-time job and I was able to buy a house. So like, well, yeah, your house was $30,000. Yes. You took a 30 year mortgage on it. Well, now you're paying it with 2023 money. Yes. You know, it, it's a different game. Yes. So uh, that is an advantage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so recollateralization, you don't have to do it with a, a primary mortgage. Uh, type of thing. There are debt collection services out there that are honorable that you can collateralize or move your debt into one. 
like student loans. We'll talk a little bit about student loans. That's a whole podcast we could go into another time. But student loans, you could you could refinance them into one student loan. So you have one payment, simpler, easier, and many times a lower interest rate than what you have out there. So you're making things simpler and you're making things at a lower interest rate cause. You can do that with credit card debt. There's there's collateralization services out there. You know, typical credit card debt is somewhere between 15 and 25 percent there on average. And the debt collateralization services I've seen around seven ish uh, out there. So, you know, that's better. Oh, wow. So so they essentially they pay off your credit card loans while pay pay them off and then buy the debt. Yes. And so now you owe this collateralization service instead of your credit card. Yes. And so you can centralize your debt into one spot at a lower rate, hopefully. Correct. Absolutely. So simpler and cheaper. Uh, So, you know, that's wonderful. Uh, And then you're not doing the full refinance uh, costs on a mortgage. Right. So you always got to look at multiple methods to see what's best. Now, another idea coming back to the house. So there's primary mortgages talking about the home you live in, but there's also called secondary mortgages. And these typically are called HELOCs, which is an acronym for home equity line of credit or HELOC. What that means is you have a second position. Positions are based on order of priority that get paid if you default. So if you default on the loan, they the debt collector comes and says, we're taking your house. They pay off the first first and they pay off the second second. So the second has higher risk that they're going to get their money back. Well, if they have more risk, they're going to pay a higher rent. You're going to charge you a higher interest rate. Right. That's always how debts work on the order of the debt. So HELOCs are normally please hear normally. There's a whole other thing we can talk about. First position HELOCs. Too much time for today. So. The home equity line of credits we can go into. Uh, So what you have to do to get a HELOC, you have to go and apply. Please hear the application. This is not guaranteed. Even if you have equity in your home, normally they need to start at 20% equity. So if you have a $100,000 home for easy math and you owe $80,000 on it, you cannot get a HELOC because you can only get a line of credit on What's more than 20%. So if you owe 70,000 on a $100,000 house, you can get a HELOC for 10 grand up to the 80% number. So what you do is you go to a bank that you apply. Lots of banks do this, shop around for different rates. They will look at your debt. They will look at your income. They will look at your credit rating. They will do a full evaluation on you and decide if they want to give you a HELOC, even though the collateral is a stable asset. It is not a guarantee. So why would someone do a HELOC versus a refinance? Just a whole mortgage for refinance. Cheaper upfront cost. Oh, okay. All right. Because there's no closing costs. No closing costs. Plus, what if they got an interest rate fixed in our previous administration? So they got a 2% or a 2.5% and current rates are at 7. Do you think you want to refi from a 25 to a 7? No, no, please don't do that. Uh, right. Just to recollateralize <laughs> some debt, you're going to shoot yeah. yourself long term. That way, keep that glorious two and a half percent debt. That thing's wonderful. Right. So maybe they need a HELOC because they have some 15 percent credit card debt and they can go get a HELOC for eight. OK, that's definitely better than the credit card. And they get to keep their low mortgage primary interest rate at two and a half. That would be an example of why to go get a HELOC. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense, especially if in that scenario, you need $10,000. 
you don't have to refinance your entire home, yes. have a higher interest rate. You just have a, a $10,000 debt against your home in that, in that situation. That's at a higher interest rate. Well, one of the things really quick is uh, you will, in getting a HELOC, have to do an appraisal, eh, roughly 500 bucks, depending on the cost of the house and et cetera. But you will have to pay upfront out of your pocket for an appraisal before you know that you're granted the HELOC. So you're, you're risking some money up front because if you're not granted the HELOC, you're out the appraisal fee. You do not get it back. But you know how much your house is worth. So there's that. You should. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth the $500 but, <laughs> in that scenario, but yeah. So, so the last is, is this the last strategy that you have holistic planning? No, I've got one, one more aspect uh, of the, this is a commonly not known or not commonly known. Uh, aspect of home loans. I've done this myself. This is called a recast. This is not something that mortgage companies want to tell you about. Because what this is doing is, let's say, hypothetically, you go and buy a house today, finance the whole thing today, and you get a 7% interest rate, hypothetically. Uh, you know, Compared to just a couple years ago, you're crying. That's horrible. But if you look a few decades ago, that's still low. But you get, a high, get an interest rate at 7%, hypothetically. And then interest rates come down two years later, and you're like, I locked in a 30-year 7%. If I want to refinance this, I got to pay full closing cost, which is thousands of dollars, over to a bank or financial institution to redo that. Well, that's horrible. Well, you can see if you can do a recast. Not all banks do this. Not all loans are allowed to do this. It is wise to know before you buy, caveat emptor, of what kind of loan options you have. Recast means you go to the financial institution that holds your loan. You ask them, I want to recast my loan. Let's say interest rates are now down to 4% and you bought a 7. You can move your 7 to a 4. You keep the current length of your loan. Let's say you bought a 30-year loan and you're two years into it. So now you have 28 years left. You maintain the 28 years left. Going back to the refi, whenever you refi, you restart the length of your loan. Restart that 30-year time clock over again. With a recast, you do not. You literally, hey, let's move this sucker down to current low interest rates. When I did it, it was 1000 bucks. That's all I paid. And I saved a point well, and a half. sounds too good to be true. It's glorious. This doesn't make sense, Joe. It's glorious. Why didn't, I, why didn't you tell me this when I refinanced my home a few years ago? <laughs> Sorry, we didn't know. Because I just wanted a lower interest rate. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why they don't want to tell you is because you're not paying full closing costs. They want the closing costs. Joe, I, I'm, I'm serious. This is really actually difficult to believe. So you're telling me for $1,000 is what I'm sure it's different depending on the bank. They just said, okay, we'll just lower your interest rate. Yes, that's it. But, <laughs> I mean, because even when you're refinancing, I mean, you're shopping around trying to find better interest rates and banks are competing and you negotiate your, yes. your interest rate, yes. or at least I did. Yes. And in this case, you're just going to the same bank and saying, okay, drop it now and I'll give you a thousand bucks or whatever yes. it is. This, I, okay. All right. So this isn't too good to be true. It's not. If, no. If your bank offers it. If your bank offers it, if you have the right kind of loan. So you can ask up front when you're buying your, your loan today, hey, does this loan 
have a recast option for the future. That would be a wonderful thing if you were in a high interest rate environment like we are today, and it's possible that interest rates are going to drop, like probable in the future, uh, to go and do that. And so you can go get the home that you're desiring because home prices generally only increase for the most part. They only increase. Go get your home, make sure it's affordable, and then drop the interest rate when interest rates drops. Now, what? as far as I know, you can only do this once. So don't do it when you got a half a point difference. Make sure it's worthwhile mm. in a difference. Yeah. Because like I've done a recast on my personal loan. I'm not doing it again. Can't. I'd have to refinance to get the option again. So- you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I hear because a lot of people are are interested in moving to Ogden is that they don't want to buy a house right now. Let's say they're renting or something yeah. like that. And they're just waiting for how the housing market to crash. And so I'm, I'm not a financial advisor, so I don't give financial advice, but I do say a housing event like we experienced in 2008, 2009 is pretty rare. Yeah. Like it's probably not going to happen yes. too frequently, especially with uh, some of the investment strategies of like BlackRock, yes. where they're buying up single family homes. That's right. And so when in you have mass. big money, yeah, big money pouring into single family homes, it's not in their interest to allow something like that to fall. So this is a really good tool then when people are going out and shopping in this environment, because you do have housing prices that have seemed to stagnate yep. for a moment, yep. like plateaued. Uh, and as soon as uh, interest rates drop again, if they do. It it would logic would follow that the housing, um, the uh, real estate market would continue to go up, and so you might actually be in a. I mean, it could be a good time to buy. I don't know the future, but it, with this as an option, uh, with a bank, man, it might might be a pretty good idea. Just something to keep in your back pocket. Oh yeah, absolutely. As as a general principle, I don't care what we're talking about. I like owning versus renting. Almost always, it's very rare that renting can be better long-term than owning. I realize things happen. I've rented in the past where we've lived and stuff like that, but I am blessed to own. And so that's a fixed payment. And so when interest rates rise and cost goes up, my payment's fixed. So when my income goes up and my payment's fixed, I've got more room for other pieces. Right. Yeah. And I, I know one thing that I've heard, this isn't going to be a podcast about owning versus renting, but no, yeah. some people say, well, well, what about property taxes? You have to pay property taxes when you own. It's like, well, you actually do pay property taxes when you rent. It's just built into your rent. It's always so, passed down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's the speculative nature of, of folks who say, well, if I rent, uh, that means that I don't have all of these expenses towards home ownership. I didn't have to put it down a town payment so I can put it in my investment account and I will out earn my house. And it's like, well, yeah, it might, but the risk reward ratio probably doesn't work out in your favor in the long run. It depends on the person. You know, you talk to a guy like Joe and he'll tell you. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a guy. <laughs> All but, good. All good. Yeah. Um yeah, so the the fourth the fourth main uh header here is holistic planning. This is the one we alluded to just a few minutes ago. This is the one with that we open open our blinders and not just look at debt. But we also look at our investments and our savings and our job and looking at a holistic picture to see what's most efficient across everything. That's the holistic principle here is looking at all of it. So I've got an example here that I've done some pre-math 
for folks to get. I get this question all the time, which is, Joe, I'd like to just kill debt. Like I'm going to hyper focus on killing debt. And when I'm out, then I'm going to invest. And Joe, I'm going to have a lot more money to invest. Like, great. And so I want to talk about the time value of money and that principle here. And that's time. Okay, so I want to give you some uh, assumptions here because I've done the pre-math on this. And you can go to a financial calculator and do the math anywhere on this piece. So let's assume that a home loan's at 5%. Okay, should you make extra mortgage payments or invest the difference? That's the question here. So let's assume a 30-year mortgage because that's what's most often 30-year fixed mortgage and let's say the house is uh financed 400,000 you didn't make a down payment that's what you financed and let's assume also you have the ability to contribute to a Roth IRA and that's a whole long variables and etc how to do that um, but we can talk about that at another time the reason why I bring that tool up is because the growth on a Roth IRA if used properly is tax free or more exact, is tax exempt. And I say this semi-jokingly, but how much tax exempt money do you want later on? To me, the answer is there's not enough. I want everything tax exempt, please. (laughs) Yes, yes, Uh, we cannot control taxes, right? One of the variables we cannot control is what are the tax brackets and the tax rates going to be at various kinds of taxes. It'd be really nice to have your income tax tax exempt. Okay, so coming back to our analogy, 30-year mortgage, 400,000 balance. Uh, Let's assume that your income source is stable. Let's assume that you have your emergency fund already funded and there's a proper amount to that based on the volatility of your income. Let's also assume your catastrophic risk planning is done. Like, hey, if someone dies or gets disabled, your estate planning is done. So assets go to the right people in the right time on when it's appropriate. Okay, that your assets are titled correctly so you avoid any unnecessary taxes or unnecessary legal fees and assume that you plan on living in this home long term because, you know, there's all kinds of jobs that bounce people all over the place, like military officers, as an example. They rarely stay in any place for more than a couple years type of thing. So let's assume all of these pieces. And what I'm trying to help hopefully that you're getting is this is not a one size fits all answer. There's lots of variables before you decide to do this. So the principal and interest payment on this loan is $2,147.29. If you make an extra monthly payment from the very beginning of $1,020 each month, you will pay it off in 15 years. Okay, so that's a total monthly of $3,167.29. You save the interest on 180 months. That combined is $204,000 in change. Okay, that's how much money you save save. by paying it off early. Yeah, you don't pay $204,000 in interest. Okay, that sounds like a big deal. That's a massive deal. Okay, but if we're focused only in a microcosm at debt, I want to look at all of it because there's folks that say I only stop there in my mathematical understanding of what's best for me. So folks like Dave Ramsey, (laughs) continuing. (laughs) So let's take the same monthly amount, right? Three thousand one hundred sixty seven dollars and twenty nine cents. And let's take the same time frame of 30 years. 
So option A, option A is turning this into a 15-year loan and then taking the full payment, that 3179.29, and investing it in the market, growing at an average of 8%, trying to be conservative, okay? Properly diversified and et cetera, et cetera. Compounding monthly, right? How often are debt and investments compounded? The gross dollars you would have at the end is 1.1 million. Okay, you paid off your debt in 15 years, and now you've got 1.1 million dollars. I mean, who doesn't want that? That's amazing. Okay, that most people go that my dreams to be a millionaire. Well, we need more than that to retire today. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's option A. Option B: Don't pay off the mortgage early. Don't pay a single dollar extra on the mortgage. And take the $1,020 a month that you were paying extra and invest it into a Roth IRA. That's the only difference. So at the end of 30 years in both options, the mortgage is paid off and you have a lump of money. The mathematical question is which method has more money? Because you both have a paid off mortgage. And it's option B you will have over $1.5 million. That's an additional $400,000 for not saving an additional dime, just saving differently on what you're doing. Just paying your mortgage, nothing extra, and taking that extra payment and putting it into a 401k. Roth IRA, Roth Roth 401k. I'm using Roth tools here because those are tax-free growth as as an example uh, type of thing. Okay, so uh, the question is, and so I, I ask Mr. and Mrs. Client, which is more honorable at the end of 30 years to have your home paid off and have 1.1 or to have your home paid off and have 1.5? Well, and one important thing I think it's worth mentioning or reiterating with a Roth, so that $1.5 million, when you withdraw it, how much in taxes are you paying? Because I know that's a big problem for folks that are retiring right now is they, they go to withdraw from their traditional 401k and all of a sudden they're hit with taxes. So how much of that 1.5 million from Roth are you paying it, uh, tax taxes on? Nada. So it's not just that you made extra money. Yeah. You know, because in the other, in the other scenario, you, you saved how much to $200,000, but that's just taxed money. And you you have nothing at the end other than you've saved, you didn't pay this money. And so in this other scenario, you have $1.5 million of money that will not show up on your taxes. That's right. As a tax, taxable income. So let's go back to option A, where we pay off the mortgage and then we invest 3167.29 a month. You cannot put 3167 a month into a Roth IRA. The IRS doesn't allow it. The maximum you can do today is 6,500 per year per person. So if you're married, that's 13 grand. So if you're married, the option B, that 1020, you can put all of it into a Roth IRA. So option A, not only do you have less money at 1.1 million at the end of 30 years, but a good portion of that 1.1 will be taxable. Okay. Now there's other options out there. There's more scenarios. That This is just uh, some, some basic understanding like, Joe, I could put that money into a Roth 401k. Yes, you could. Maybe you don't have the option of it because not all places have Roth 401ks and et cetera. <clears throat> maybe you're already maxing out your Roth area rate. Yes, there's lots of scenarios, but this is basic understanding. Do you want 1.1 or you want 1.5?
with no extra dollar side. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. I want 1.5. But you've got to have a backwards planning focus. Ha <laughs> ha, how I slipped that in there. Uh, you've got to have a long-term <laughs> focus on efficiency because tomorrow comes for most people. And so when it shows up, it will be nice to be in a better position on that. Now, now there are some risks because in option A, when you have a 15-year mortgage, if you signed up for a 15-year, let's not just say you're over pain. Let's say you signed up in the beginning for a 15 year. Your monthly payment is bigger than if you signed up for a 30 year. So there's a risk because sometimes economy shut down. Uh, the, uh, we lose our jobs. Uh, industries change and incomes change. And so if you have put your home on the hook for a larger monthly payment and you can't make it because income goes down, they will take your home. So you put the home at risk during that time. Now, obviously, it's paid off faster, so there's less risk after the 15 years. So there's no perfect is where I'm going. No perfect on that. Yeah, okay. and there's no guarantees that the stock market will continue to go up, nope. that the housing market will go up, nope. that the economy will continue. Nope. These are all questions. That's you right. Know. Uh, Start but, a farm. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's so funny, Joe, when, when you and I were talking about our, our, you know, my personal, my personal assets, the, the, the thing is what you're doing here is so simple compared to the level of depth that you're going into, even in my like very basic, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm not some trust fund guy or, you know, something like that where I'm owner in multiple businesses. Uh, but the depth that you go into in this whole at, holistic planning is incredible. I mean, I, I feel like I'm fairly in the know as far as investments. I know what a Roth for, you know, I know what a Roth is. I know what an IRA is. I know what a 401k is all that. But some of the things that I had to have you repeat yourself a few times and re-explain things because of the tools that are out there that I didn't even know about, uh, similar to this, this, uh, recast, you know, refinance tool. I mean, that's the stuff that you know is, is actually quite incredible. You know, one of the things that's, that's important to, to consider, I'm going to, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute and talk about managing your debt, managing your finances well. And we'll, we'll talk into, uh, I think we're going to go into the next section about maybe some forms of debt that you might want to use, maybe some that you want to hold on to, some that you want to prioritize. Um, but in Luke 14, it, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? I mean, you would be a fool to start out, you know, obviously building a tower and you get halfway done and you run out of money. And so a wise man would, would calculate that. So when you're using debt, when you're using these strategies, whether it's a snowball method, the avalanche method, using tools like refinancing your house, what you, what you want to do is take in the costs ahead of time. That's why your, your backwards planning financial is so important because you actually start at the end and then you work your way back. You have a longer term vision, even though there's still risk involved, one of the dangers is that you refinance your house. Let's say you go to a 15-year mortgage. I'd considered this at a time, but your monthly payment goes up so much so much higher that you're right. There is all of a sudden, if I lose employment, if in 2020, for some reason, the church you know, giving went down and all of a sudden my salary decreased, uh, it exposes me to a lot more risk. So I may have a tower that I'm building that goes unfinished, as in they repossess my home, you know? And so I, it is important to have this, this long-term vision. And one of the things that you also do, you, you're doing for me, 
I, I joked about this. I'm like, I am high risk. Like I love high risk assets. That is my favorite. It is so sexy to have, you know, hundred X, thousand X, 10,000 X returns on different assets. And so I'm like, you know what? All in baby, send it full send. And one of the things that you provide for guys like me is a safety net is a risk management where in the long run, what's going to happen with a guy like with my proclivities of, of high risk gambling, sort of investing and things like that is that eventually you lose. And when you lose, it could be catastrophic. And so what you're providing for is uh, I remember you talking to me like, well, if the uh, stock, when the stock market crashes, this is what your, your asset, you know, this is what your portfolio is going to look like. And so we're going to just plan for that because it's going to happen eventually. Whereas me on my own, I'm probably not going to be calculating that in. It's like, it's going up, baby. It's always going up. It's, <laughs> it's going up forever. You know, and that's the, that's the trader's perception, right? Is the yes. current trajectory is the way it's always going. If it's going down, it's going to the bottom. Yes. You know, if it's going to the, if it's going up, it's going to the top. So Tell me about this. Um, you, you've written in the notes a rule of 72. What in the world is that? This is a way to understand growth of interest and how it affects your products. So rule of 72 says you divide the number 72 by the interest rate of your money growing. And this will tell you how many years before the money doubles. So for a very simple math, if you're averaging a 7.2% rate of return, it will take 10 years for your money to double. If you're averaging a 10% rate of return, your money will take 7.2 years to double. So it's, it's a way to understand the compound interest effect on money. Red meat is a staple of a healthy protein-packed diet, but not all meat is created equal. That's why I buy my meat from Salt and Strings Butchery. Salt and Strings is owned and operated by my friends, Quinn and Samantha Bible, and the meat they offer is raised, harvested, and processed exclusively in Southern Illinois. It's cut and packaged by my friends, Quinn and Anthony, and not only is it the best meat I've ever had, well, all their meat is sourced from local farms that share our Christian values. Salt and Strings is now offering a beef and hog box that can be shipped directly to your door. The 15-pound beef box features 100% black Angus beef, and includes ribeyes, T-bones, sirloin, chakros, fajita meats, and ground beef. You can order your beef box today for just $259. They will send it directly to your door. The hog box is $239 and features premium Duroc pork, including eight thick pork chops, one of my all-time favorites, pork steaks, cured and sliced bacon, ground pork, bratwurst, and breakfast sausage links. You can place your order today at saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. And also be sure to follow Salt and Strings on Instagram. We'll also include the link in the show notes. Very interesting. That's a really helpful tool. It, it, it does show like, what man, I can't remember the quote, like the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. Somebody <laughs> said that and it's absolutely false. But, but, but anyway, the principle is really interesting because- yes. You see, this is where guys like me get in trouble, right? Is you see the 100x gain, you know, like Tesla has been on a, just a rampage for years and years. And so you're like, all right, we're going to go all in. I'm going to buy long-term leaps, uh, options, call <laughs> options for Tesla then. And we're just going to go at it, you know, because they're going to keep going up because I'm, I could get thousands of percent returns, not realizing that 7.2% 
over 10 years doubles your money. So you're really taking a time equation uh, in, in that as, as really the powerful, the most powerful value in investing is time. What you may have been referring to uh, a moment ago was Albert Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, I was mixing my quotes. I mean, the, <laughs> the point still stands, but yeah, the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. is compound interest. No, that's really good. So uh, speaking of compound interest, what about credit card debt? Yeah, this is nasty stuff. It's dangerous stuff. But when used well, provides wonderful flexibility. By the way, didn't we just hit $1 trillion in consumer credit card debt? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of credit card debt. Yes, it is. Wow. Could you imagine? I should have been a credit card company. That's what I should have started, not a media company. If you don't care about being honorable. Oh, usury. Yeah, that's true. I would have had to not charge interest to Christians. So. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> so, so credit card debt. Uh, first of all, should you have a credit card or not? Right, that's a big question. Should you have a credit score or not? Uh, let me rabbit trail into that for just a second. Uh, credit scores are effectual in many dynamics of life. They will affect the cost on your car insurance. They affect if you can get a loan in an emergency. Can you get a home loan easily at lower cost? All affect by your credit score. Uh, Let me add a little something that wasn't, quote unquote, in the notes up front. Can you help your kids? Always thinking long term. I love long term. How to help your children? Well, you can put your kids and their social on your credit cards. Start giving them, assuming you're making your payments, uh, start giving them, (laughs) (laughs) and you don't want to hurt them. No. Getting positive marks in building. Sorry, son, you have a 326 credit score. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so you can put them on your credit card? Yes. No. Yes. There's no age requirement? No. Just put them, how how in the world does that work? Because they have a social. (laughs) So I put them on my credit card. And uh, keep making the payments and then they will have a credit score when they're, you know, when they're 18 and it actually matters. That's right. Wow. I had no idea. Joe, where was this? Well, here it is. It's a way to freely help your kids start off in life. There's zero cost to you on this dollar wise and et cetera on that. Now, if you go and not make your payments, you're going to have the exact opposite effect. You're going to destroy their (laughs) credit score and they're going to have all kinds of effort to repair it. So don't do that, right? We should be honorable and pay our credits, credit cards yeah. anyways type of thing. But so there's a free thing that you can do to help your kids launch easier into this painful uh, starting for young adults uh, right now on that. Okay, so I, I use multiple credit cards, but I pay them off in full every month. I prefer using cash for small businesses. That's all on the other side trail on that uh, type of thing. Um, I sure, actually credit card credit card fees take take a lot. Yeah, they businesses. do. Yeah, they do. As much as five percent, right? Yeah, or more even. I I actually uh, yesterday I put a pair of shoes in to get repaired at a small local shoe repairman, and I paid him in cash, and he gave me a very sincere thank you because he saved credit card fees on that. Yeah, there's actually some businesses that will reduce cash cash discounts. There used to be gas stations cash discount cost versus credit card discount. As to affect, right. yes, those credit cards do cost. Now, uh, one of the wonderful ways is to set up your credit card to pay what is called the statement balance. That's a legal term that says the full amount that is due, so you don't pay any interest, is the statement balance. You can set up your credit cards to draft that statement balance every month. 
So therefore, you don't have to remember, oh, what was the date? Oh, I missed it by three days. I now have a late payment on my score when I intended to pay for it. Now I have interest on the balance, right? Credit cards can easily, yes, they can easily get dirty on you. But if you set up the full statement balance, it takes some relief and worry about that. Now, of course, you got to keep enough money cash flow in your bank account to pay that. Got to watch that. But let's let me give you a scenario here. Let's say you have three different credit cards with a balance uh, on them and you're not able to pay them all off because life happens. This has happened to me in the past. Uh, I guess a little rabbit trail for a quick little personal story. Um, I have been in the past where taxes had to be paid on the credit card, had to get a cash advance. That was not fun. Credit cards got maxed. Tires were bald and the wires were sticking out. Dangerous to drive. We were a one car family because we could not afford two cars. So my wife would take me to work and then go to her work and then pick me back up. And we were a one car family. Um, We needed tires. And so I had to go get another credit card just to buy tires. So what I'm trying to say is life happens. I've had some medical things, et cetera. Credit card debt is not necessarily a dishonorable situation. Life gets in the way, and it's a wonderful way to have a backup. You know, I'm really glad I could put tires on the car so I could drive safely with my wife around. But so I had multiple debts on the credit cards. This is literally what I did to get out of those debts. So hypothetically, you have three credit cards with a balance on that you cannot pay on that. So What I want to talk about is a strategy using a balance transfer. A balance transfer is the right to move a balance from credit card A to credit card B. That's re-collateralizing like we talked about. Yes, it is. We're re-collateralizing to another credit card. But what that second credit card most commonly charges is a 3% upfront fee. It's a transfer fee on the balance you transfer. Then normally what's most common out there is a 0% interest for 12 months. So you're not paying interest for 12 months. Only if, here's the big whammy factor. If at the end of 12 months, you've paid that off entirely. Not one penny left. If you have the smallest amount left, they will go to the beginning of that 12 months. Start charging you interest during that entire time compound it to that entire time and give it to you as a glorious present for not paying off your debt is wonderful it's evil yes so be careful what i tell my clients is if you're interested in this at the 11 and a half month mark you need to have bells and whistles and sirens and all kinds of things on your calendar ding 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 pay attention to this so let me go back to my scenario you have three credit cards all with a balance You want to do a balance transfer. The best way to do this is if you have a fourth with a zero balance. Yes, I just told you with multiple credit cards to get another one. Yes, I did. (laughs) Okay, so go get another credit card and move the balance on A over to this one you just did. Hopefully, you get enough space to move it all. Now, credit card A is empty. Move the balance on B to A. Hopefully you can move it all. Now B is empty, move C to B. So what you did is you started with three cards with a balance and you ended with three cards with a balance 
They just shuffled around to each other. You added a 3% fee to all of them for the balance you transferred. But now your interest is zero for 12 months. And you can make some progress. Because if you're at 25 or something just brutal, it's hard to make progress. Man, no kidding. I, I had no idea that this was an option. Yes. Yes, it's commonly not known. I haven't had credit card debt. I I also... I use credit cards though because of some of the benefits. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to get into the benefits of of credit cards as far as like cash back. Yes. Travel it's wonderful. Credits, things like that. It's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, so recently I, I took a trip to Wisconsin. My my sister in law actually flew to Utah, drove my family with my wife to Wisconsin to visit family. I flew there and then drove them back. Hotels, flights, all covered with my travel credits yes. that I had. Wonderful. So it was something, something around $900 that I did not have to pay, you know, just based on points for yes. my, for my credit yes. cards. What most companies, most companies, I'm talking 99.9% of companies because credit cards are so prolific do is they just assume you're going to use a credit card. And so they've increased the price of the thing you're buying by a credit card fee. So they just already increased it. Very rarely can you go today with cash and reduce the price. On small businesses, maybe you can do that. But most of the time, you can't. So you're paying for the fee anyways. Okay, let's say it's a 3% fee, hypothetically, and then the the credit card gives you a 1% back. So you're paying 3%, you get one back. Well, it'd be nice just to not pay the three, but that's, for the most part, not an option type of thing. So you take the 1%, you bank it into points or cash back or lots of different things, and you can use that for travel and et cetera. If you didn't use a credit card and paid cash everywhere, you would just be paying the 3% fee without getting the 1% back. So those of us that use credit cards and pay them off every month, we're getting 1% our, our money that those cash users are not. Yeah. You know what, Joe? What This is really quirky of me. I also like being able to buy stuff and not having to pay for it out of my bank account for 30 days. <laughs> yes. So I understand. because I get to hold on to the money longer yeah. so that I get my, you know, 1% interest rate in my, my bank account. Yes. <laughs> now, if you really want to get an extra nerdy aspect, when you buy something with a credit card, the, the credit card company fronts the money to that organization, to that business. And then when it comes time for you to pay the credit card monthly fee, that's when you actually pay for the thing you bought earlier. So you're getting days of interest for free on your money in the bank. So your bank is yeah, growing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yes. Yeah, but my, well, but the amount is typically small. small yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, but there are high, high interest checking accounts, savings accounts and things like that. So that's correct. Yes. Something to consider. Yes. So, so let me come back to uh, the balance transfer. There's a risk here. Let's say you only had three credit cards and can't get a fourth just because your debt to asset ratio and et cetera. Joe, I can't get a fourth. Could I just still shuffle them around? Well, when you have a credit card that you did a balance transfer on and you buy something else on it, let's say you transferred over 5,000 and you put a $500 uh, charge on that card and you go to pay the statement balance, that 500 bucks. They do not take it from the money you just charged. They take it from the 0% because they, credit card companies, would rather you start growing interest immediately on that $500. So those snakes. (laughs) It's careful. So this is why 
do not charge extra and why I want you to start with a zero balance. So you don't but have this that is confusion. FIFO accounting. It's, it's FIFO accounting, yes. right? First in. <laughs> I wish <laughs> yeah. it's basically whatever is better for them is what they do. <laughs> in other words. So, so it is a wonderful way to reduce the interest rate, but let me, let me come back to my scenario of 11 and a half months. Bells and whistles are coming off and you move three card cards around. You made some progress, but you haven't paid any of them off because life happens because it does. We can't control everything. So you come to that, Joe, I have a balance on three cards. I'm about to go and get interest back to the beginning. What do I do? Do the same thing again. Do the domino effect again. Move credit card A over to a zeroed card. You're going to pay a 3%. But would you like another month, another 12 months at zero? Or do you want to repay 25? No. <laughs> Compounded. No. <laughs> no. So you can domino them again and you can keep going around and around and around until they're paid off. And so what you're doing, if you're able to accomplish that, is you're moving a, let's call it an average of 25%, because that's pretty common in credit cards, to a three. And then when you use that in a holistic manner, do you want to pay off a three or do you want to grow it at eight? Well, it depends on risk and stability of income and all kinds of other scenarios out there, right? If your income is not stable, then it would be good to pay off the credit cards because that's a big risk and et cetera. Could you re-collateralize that into the primary mortgage? Let's say you can get the interest rates come down, you get a 3% there. Hey, that could be a tax deduction versus credit cards or not, and et cetera. You know, is the credit card used for business? Well, then maybe the interest is, is write-offable, potentially, if you own a business for that. So there's all kinds of other factors. There's no one-size-fits-all, but it's good to understand options that are out there that you can use. Okay. Joe, I'm just going to say I'm glad that I've got you in my <laughs> corner. Because you. <laughs> all of this is is uh, is a lot of this is very new to me. I'm actually really surprised. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to say about student loans? Well, so student loans right now are all, all federal student loans, not private student loans, are, are deferred on zero interest. You know, what are the interest rates going to be? You can't just look at your statements uh, to see that because it's all just going to say zero. But you can call the financial institutions and see what the interest rates are going to be and when they turn on and when those monthly payments will be. And then take that into account in a holistic manner is my preferred method. Hey, what's the highest interest rate? Compare that to probable growth on investments compared to other debt that you have. And, you know, student loans, if you have a low enough income, the interest on some of that can be a tax deduction. There's all kinds of ifs, ifs in there. But so look at that in a holistic manner to see what is proper to do, you know, because there are some benefits if you work for a charitable organization for long enough that the debt can be uh, written off, quote unquote. But be careful on that because most commonly that you will have to pay tax on what is written off. Don't get a big old surprise on a tax bill. So understanding the rules on student loans, there's a lot of stuff that's out there in multiple methods on pay and repay and income driven. And um, there's too much to go over for today on that. Holy moly. That is a lot. <laughs> Joe, is there anything else that you wanted to close with before uh, before we wrap this up? Uh, yes, sir. A, a story on one of my favorite phrases, a uh, favorite Latin phrase, and that is caveat emptor which is a phrase for Latin that means let the buyer beware. 
the, a phrase came originally, and you can look this up. This is, to me, it's fun, understanding where things came from. In 1603, in Chandler versus Lopus in England, when a man bought a Bezor stone, which were at that time thought to have healing powers and et cetera on that. These stones were thought to cure poison and leprosy and measles. We know they don't, but that was where they were thought of. The buyer didn't receive any cures. Surprise, surprise. Um, and he sued the seller. The court ruled that the seller didn't warranty the Bezor stone. That would provide cures. So in other words, be careful where you buy, what you buy, who you're buying it with. It's a common principle. A fool and his money is soon parted. Right? Caveat emptor. Yeah, and that's why I hired Joe Garrison <laughs> to be my holistic uh, planning, financial planning guy. And so if you would also like to talk to Joe, uh, go to backwardsplanningfinancial.com. You can reach him there. I uh, Thank you for, for all that you do for the guys at the church here uh, and for me and for the wisdom that you share. This is great because one of the things that we're trying to do is, is to pass on an inheritance to our generations. That's, that's my whole strategy. Why I talk, why I talk to Joe, why I care about, why I care about debt and income and investments and taking time to do it because I've realized that, you know what, when you're trying to pass on an inheritance, you're passing on more than just wealth, but wealth is one of the things that you you're passing on. And that means that you have to treat your, your money like it's not yours in a way you have to manage it for your generations. And so uh, guys like Joe uh, will help you to do that and give you a long-term view of the use of your finances in a wise way, give you some wise counsel. So I would really encourage you guys to go and talk to him there. And uh, this is where I'm supposed to say Eric's tagline, and I get it wrong every time. <laughs> it's like, there's usually some like rock music that comes on, and it's like, <laughs> this is the Hardman podcast. Stay frosty. Act like men. Anyway. Awesome. Thanks, Joe, for thanks, Joe, for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. It's a pleasure and honor. Thank you. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. And special shout out to our Patreon supporters. If you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you can join today for as little as five dollars a month, and that definitely helps keep this work going. We are glad to partner with you for content that builds a new Christendom and reclaims biblical masculinity at the same time. You can check the show notes for the link to become a Patreon supporter of the Hard Men Podcast today. Stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. Thank you.